there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am doing all right, thanks, man. On the mend. How are you wearing the world's biggest roll neck? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a story there that I I, I thought I'm going to tell the story. I won't tell the story. Tell the story. It's ridiculous. No, <laughs> I'm going to get killed for this. So, <laughs> are we allowed to tell the story? Is yes. It, safe, is it safe? Someone's, someone's going to be. They're going to be annoyed with me. Oh, that's that got to. So I had um, had a relative come and stay, and they left behind, you know, these woody sort of dresses, you know. These, and I was like, ah. Oh. And I was like, you know, it was, it was minus two, and the heating hadn't come on the building yet because you know in Berlin, like in Germany, the heating doesn't go on the first time the cold really kicks in. So I look at my house, and there's like this massive, like sort of this woolly, this woolly sort of dress. And I was like, oh, actually. So if I just put that on and just sort of wrote in it, it'd be really comfortable. And it's like sort of knee length. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like a vibe. It's knee length. It's knee, dude, I'm absolutely deep in my bag. I'm wearing like these like woolly socks and it's fleece trousers and like this. And I'm just, I'm floating around my flat. I'm so comfortable. Like a, like <laughs> a big woolly worm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my productivity has gone off the scale since I started wearing it, writing it. Because <laughs> I'm just not chilly. Because, you know, Anyone that writes and works from home, it's like either your feet get freezing or like your neck. And I was like, this is like being in a sleeping bag. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Pet- I'm petrified they'll ask for it back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now do I they listen up. to the podcast? Oh, no, they don't, of course. No one in my family listens to the podcast. Like, I could say anything. I well, could no, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, well, th- no, that doesn't quite count as a relative. That's like a kind of, yeah, so no, <laughs> no blood relative listens well, to the podcast. Well, <laughs> you're pissing everyone off. No, I know, wait, let's, let's think who actually listens to, who would be able to tell the, the person that, that I've acquired, appropriated it from doesn't listen to the podcast. Okay. All right. So you're safe. And there's no one that would snitch them because they don't have that connection. So no one can snitch them. I'll snitch them. them. No, don't, don't, don't snitch to them. Everyone else snitches oh. on me. Let me be free. True. All right. If you're well, listening and you know the person I'm talking about, don't snitch to them. <laughs> <laughs> what a forlorn appeal. You don't choose the roll neck. The roll neck chooses you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, speaking of roll necks, uh, good day for the cardigan crew. Kylian Mbappe in French GQ wearing a cardigan. I got to say, with that fit they dropped, at first I thought, oh, you know, it's quite straightforward. But then I thought, actually... We, we were saying in the chat, weren't we? Actually, like, he's looking for the high street, isn't he? If Kilian dropped. It's yeah. He dropped his that. range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, wherever you are. Um, sorry we're coming to you a little bit late. We had to record this in two bits today because of some travel stuff. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, we're not going to do any of the football because there were some great FA Cup games on this week, mm. and um, there have also been some great games in the Asian Cup and AFCON. Yeah, big, big games. Pivotal. Yeah. We kind of recorded this as an unbelievable game between Egypt and Ghana is going on. So, yeah, there's a lot of games that we, we won't be able to get to today, unfortunately. But um, we're going we're gonna to cover... We're going to talk about Manchester United today, basically, because we, when the Jim Ratcliffe, not takeover, not takeover. So the deal, when that deal was done, we were, we were off because it happened around Christmas time. And obviously he was at the game at the weekend. He was sat next to Sir Alex Ferguson, which we mentioned. And um, yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about that today and what it kind of means for Manchester United headed into their new era. And then after that, we're going to talk a little bit about Jordan Henderson's move to Ajax. He has 
mutually agreed to terminate his contract at Al Etifak. And he is an Ajax player, which is quite the turnaround from what was going on six months ago or even not even that long ago with a with a with a don't bat down, double down interview. Yes, yes, absolutely. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. Quick bit of admin, counterpress is back, go check counterpressed. And also uh, a quick last minute substitution, Flo and I are going to be doing Wright's House on Friday. You are getting rested. Bam, indeed. Hectic schedule, man. No winter breaks here. Well, I suppose we kind of did that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Change yeah, our narrative. Yeah, just, yeah, moving yeah, on. Yeah. Moving just, on. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> less said about that, the better. Um, <laughs> but yeah, other than that, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. Go to stadio.football, scroll to the bottom, pop your email address in. The next edition will be going out, I think, next week. So, um, yep, go do that. And uh, can I just give a shout out, a quick shout out? Yeah, please go for it. To Nifioc Ekpudum. Oh my goodness, yes. Happy release day. A great book uh, out today, which we've we put in the mail out actually. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, where we come from. Shouts to Neef. Uh, yeah, where we come from. Rap home and hope in modern Britain. Go and buy it. It's extraordinary. This um, book. It's it, extraordinary. It's got, it's it's got will a quote be. from Muswak Wonga on the front cover. <laughs> I'm so uh, sorry, Neve. So uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> you can survive that. Survive anything. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, let's get into some Manchester United chat after this. All right, man. So you and I were talking about what we we're going to do today. We decided to have a conversation about Manchester United because we haven't really talked a huge amount about the Sir Jim Ratcliffe takeover. Mm. Um, happened over Christmas, or it was announced over Christmas. And um, as we mentioned, there were some details that got released this week about the takeover, the process, also Sir Jim Ratcliffe going to the game on Sunday against Spurs and hanging around and meeting with fan representatives and local representatives on Monday. Something that I don't believe the Glazers have ever done. Mm. So yeah, interesting time for Manchester United. Very interesting. There's so much going on here. Do you know what's funny about this though? You know, there's that thing where like, and we know there are a few commercial lawyers who listen to this podcast because some have got in touch. Um, oh really? Why have what? The, <laughs> <laughs> the thing about this, you know, commercial lawyers will look at this. The fascinating aspect of this is not actually the legal side. It's, it's the commercial side, how the deal's been structured but also the process, because I think the thing about the Glazers, this, this is what I find really, really funny. It reminds me of one of those like dinosaur movies, like, you know, so Jurassic, Jurassic World, where you have the creature that thinks it's the apex predator, and then someone releases <laughs> the bigger one. And the fascinating thing with Ratcliffe and the way that he's managed to navigate this negotiation, nudge the Glazers in certain areas, setting deadlines, being unorthodox, you can see very clearly that they haven't faced an adversary like this in a while. This is what is so interesting. The man's setting like deadlines here, Christmas Day, accept the bid or not, or I'll walk. Partial negotiation, concession here, concession there. They've just come back with this sort of bombshell uh, announcement that actually they can maybe like buy him out after 18 months, like even though he hasn't officially bought the 25% stake yet. And it's really fascinating watching the Glazers for the first time in about 20 years genuinely threatened in relation to their control of the club. Do you know it is? It's very Matt. different. Very different personalities, but it's Matson in succession. Oh, I wish, I, I still wish I've... Yeah. Oh, I keep forgetting, this is like when you kept dropping Game of Thrones stuff and I was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden you watched all of them and you were just like, Dracarys, every five words. But yeah. Dracarys. Dracarys. You know, we were having a chat about this last night, um, just prepping, you know, talking about what we're going to talk about and for me, the thing that's fascinating about all of this is if you look at the paths this takeover could have gone down, hmm. it's just come out from the US that Sheikh Jassin never provided any financial guarantees about this potential takeover. Despite multiple reminders. I mean, that bid was kind of a catfish. I'm just glad that that has come out now after the fact that he had, that, that bid had already been nominated for Catfish of the Year on the Stadios 2023 because that nomination is going to age so extremely well, well. <laughs> so well. 
But I think this is a good example of one of those moments in football where you think a thing is inevitable. You think the game is going a particular way, tactically, technically, and it really doesn't. You think a bit, the game's going to financially, it doesn't. There was a big assumption that United would be bought out by a state-backed entity, and that would be the end of it. And I think what's fascinating about Sir Jim Ratcliffe's potential takeover, he's still got to buy the 25%, although the way this deal is structured, he's going to get a lot of bang for his buck. Like the 25% is going to give him, you know, a really impressive, interesting level of control for that amount of money. Mm. And you know, you know, already- this reminds me of, sorry, it's, this is very much like, hey, hey, look at me. I'm the captain now. I'm the captain now. Right. Like, he walked in there with 25% and was just like, hey, no, listen, I'm running shit. And it's a very fascinating act. Do you know what it is? It's almost the Barcelona president style form of bid or campaign. Yeah. Because even though he hasn't officially got con- the 25% yet, he's doing what those Barcelona presidential candidates do, which is he's putting out policy proposals way in advance of the actual securing that. So, you know, renovation of Old Trafford, um, purchases here and there. Well, this is interesting, um, the renovation yeah. of Old Trafford thing. Sorry to jump in, but yeah, go, go, go for, the go way for. that that, so I think it's, was it an initial 200 million provided in funds for the renovation of Old Trafford with another, with a further 100 million uh, the following year. Right. That's going to be given into shares. So that will, once that has gone through, that will actually take a share up to uh, 29% and the Glazer share down to 40, 49%. Right. So it's really interesting how like this genuinely feels like the first time, like you mentioned before, someone has come in and been like, actually, you're not serious. Yes, yes. Manchester United fans have had such a, uh, not, I, don't, I don't want to say torrid time because there's still been quite a lot of success under this ownership. Mm. But in terms of a relationship to the club and a relationship to the ownership, that was such a smart move to go in with, with being it performance focused. Yes. And especially because he was, a f- he's a fan as well. You're right. I mean, you're completely right. There's um, the shift in mood and narrative. I think, I think the Glazers until now have had, I mean, I say control narrative is, a, is, is weak source because there just hasn't been anything countervailing. And to come out and talk publicly about what needs to be done. I know the bar is low. I know it's low. But to have the actual financial heft and the knowledge, this is the thing, to have someone who's got the nous across the table from you, that's something the Glazers haven't really had before, I think. Not in that sense. And this is, it's good for United. Like, we, we were talking about this at the time. Like, we knew that the flaws, the criticisms of, of Ratcliffe. And also, if you had to have the best of possible bids, he was by far the most popular mm. choice. You look, all, all the polling you know, the polling was consistently in favour of his bid as opposed to, as opposed to uh, the bid from Qatar. Yeah. It wasn't close. Yeah. And, and then, I think that, yeah. I think that's, an, sorry, go, no, go on. No, go on. No, just, the Glazers are distant third in a two-horse race, really. Can relate. <laughs> oh, God. The Athletic have done some great reporting on the breakdown of the, of the process and I'm sure Manchester United fans have already read that. But um, I'm more interested in the kind of looking forward really Mm. kind of what this means because I think this is a very 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 interesting case study on modern club ownership and one that we kind of haven't really had in this form so what I mean by that is I mean the closest comparison you could probably say was the FSG takeover of Liverpool but uh, I still think it's slightly different because of the level of success that Manchester United had had in the recent period leading up to the takeover from the Glazers, right? So yeah. you think when FSG came in at Liverpool, it wasn't the most successful time in Liverpool's history by any no. means. Um, and they have slowly restored them, obviously, you know, winning the European Cup, winning the league again, etc. With this, it's so interesting because it's rare now that you feel that clubs this size can potentially, although actually on the other side of that, there isn't any real, there aren't any real cases of clubs this size being just taken over by sovereign states. You think about it. They usually, PSG weren't as big as Manchester United when they got taken over by 
No. Uh, Qatar. Manchester City were obviously not as big as Manchester United when they got taken over by Abu Dhabi. And Newcastle United were not as big or successful as, as Manchester United were when they were taken over by the PIF. Is there, have, they, have I missed any? No, you haven't. No, no, no. Is that... So I actually, think- if you think there's like... It's, it's the first of its kind, I think, in the modern era of football ownership that we've had this kind of um, potential where a club the size of Manchester United may have been state-owned or been taken over and state-owned and, com- and given an alternative because it kind of feels now that in order to truly compete at the very top level because of the distortion of, of finances at the very top level of football caused it in part by state ownership and also by Premier League and, and Champions League, it feels like that is the only option if you truly want to compete and dominate it again. And I think that what's interesting here is that you don't even have a, 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 an individual or a company who's taken sole ownership of the club. It's a minority stake with a, right. with a controlling stake in the sporting side, which is a really interesting aspect because, like I said before, I think that's a great tool for Ratcliffe to go in in terms of marketing because that has been the thing that fans have been crying out for for however long. I think Manchester United fans, I think fans of any club can forgive, you know, missing out on a title to the side who has done better that season or missing out on a trophy, losing a final. I mean, obviously it hurts, but losing a final to a side that maybe just played better on the day, if they have, if they know their club is being run correctly or they feel like the attention to detail on the sporting side is taking priority over the financial side, and when was the last time that any Manchester United fan truly felt that? That's absolutely right. And I think the thing about what Ratcliffe's done, it's, um, it's very like, this is sound like really, I'm going to get absolutely hammered for this and being Do it. pretentious. It has like a big, like kind of like counteract, counterattack energy, actually. It's like an old school buccaneering, we'll see what you've got by the Glazers and then we'll come back and like we'll hit you in the weak areas mm. and the, what's interesting about this bid and it's got me thinking of like sorry back in the old corporate days back <laughs> let me dust off the old the grey cells there's that we thing of the, act, suit on. <laughs> you know the you know, you know the activist investors that would come in and they would invest and they'd take like a minority shareholding but use that to steer the bigger tanker and this is what this is. This is the, it's very much that. It's very kind of, um, it's strange because he's a billionaire, but yet he still managed to very cleverly cast himself in this kind of underdog role. And that is exactly what Manchester United needed, I think. Because if you consider that United were a club, that, you know, there's a strange contradiction of building this position of sort of swaggering dominance. But if you look at the games that United, United wasn't, it wasn't a team that won its championships by steamrolling opposition. You know, last minute winners. They were grinds. They were grinds, right. a lot of that, yeah. Right. So the, the way that like Ratcliffe has come in and the energy and wherever this conversation goes, I don't know. But it feels like the way that he's come in has restored some of the character of United that, that United fans recognise, I think. You know, because there are multiple conversations about who would take, which, which state would acquire Manchester United, you know. So, I think you're right. This is one of those things where, and you've talked about this in relation to Arsenal, the first stage with Arsenal, and that happened at ownership level, was getting the ownership aligned with what the club was trying to do, what the coaches were trying to do, like having a vision. Because I felt like even Arsenal at a certain point, it felt like there was kind of too much emphasis on bean counting. And one thing that people within Arsenal always said was actually the funny thing, which a lot of these commercial people got in the other fields was, if you let the people who know the actual inside of the subject, mm. take care of it. The commercial side take care of itself. And the funny thing with football, and just to sort of round this rambling point off, is it's really funny that football is one of the few major industries where people can come from outside who don't understand it. I think they can run it however they want. Mm. It's fascinating. I think now we're seeing more of an alignment with what happens on the field and off the field. That can only be positive, actually. I think Jim Ratcliffe started winning people over the minute that he got 
put on the TV being sat next to Sir Alex Ferguson for his first home game because I feel like Huge any Man get. United fan who would have been like, I'm going to take over Manchester United. And you know what I'm going to do in my first game? I'm going to sit next to Sir Alex <laughs> because like, because <laughs> that's just what you would do, right? Yeah. He is a fan. And also, do you remember when he kind of went for the Chelsea takeover? Right. He was talking about being a Manchester United fan throughout that process. I wonder now whether that was just a complete, this is going to get my name out there in, in, in England. Because he did interviews moves. about it, right? And just being moves like... Moves and right, counter moves. And maybe he knew that this, this kind of possibility... Well, not no, he Maybe he didn't know, but maybe... People like that tend to hear things long before anyone like us will know about it. You know, those kind of things get whispered about in those kind of circles long before they're made public or even leaked to any, right. any journalist, right? So I, I suspect that there was a, a suspicion from his side that this might be an opportunity coming up. Because if you think about it, it's not really that long. It's, it's less than two years since that's happened. Yes, it is. Positioning himself as a fan is quite similar to old school takeovers. Local rich person takes over club. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Maybe I'm just kind of like overthinking this, but I do find in the modern climate that it is quite an interesting takeover from in, in the sense that it's not a consortium from the states who are taking over Manchester United. It's not, well, I mean, to be honest, we need to watch our language because he isn't taking over Manchester United. No. It's a minority stake with a controlling, uh, controlling the football side or the, sport, the sporting side. It's almost like, you know, Bunk in the Wire, where he's like, how far we done fell, right? Yes. A billionaire coming in is a massive positive compared to the alternatives. Yes, because I think I've always said this. The reason he's better than the alternatives is once a club is state-owned, very difficult to regulate it, very difficult to claw anything back. You know, look at the mm. charges against, you know, Manchester City. It's difficult. Yeah. Because you can afford all the best lawyers in the world at once. Yeah. Um, and you've got that financial heft to push through whatever you like. and. I like this because it allows Manchester United to be more easily regulated. Mm. I think that's really important for the club and for football. There is a condition in the takeover, though, that if someone else offers to buy the club from the Glazers in 18 months, Ineos have to match that offer or it can be sold to that party. It's fascinating. Let's play what if, right? So, right. so Jim Ratcliffe coming in, fixing a lot of the performance side of the club. Mm maybe streamlining the process, making the club more efficient. Does that drive the value of the club up to a point where someone else may be able to come in in 18 months' time and offer an amount of money that Ratcliffe can't match? Uh, do you know what? Or am I just... No, 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 no. You're not speaking. You're, you're, not, you're not saying anything ridiculous. It's just that we've seen the valuation of Manchester United that the Glazers have placed on it was too big even for Qatar, right? Mm. And I just wonder if there's some regret that they blinked at. They asked for more and Qatar came away from it. And I wonder if they're looking and going, we need another bite of that cherry. Mm. Maybe we'll reach out to someone else. You look at like the Saudi Pro League, we'll get to that maybe in a bit in terms of how, the, I think the initial, the short-term objectives of the Saudi Pro League, I think it's fair to say have failed. If we look yeah. at like, yeah, they, they, they okay. you know, I, I, I think they have. I think, you know, regardless what other side you're on of that, I think it's, the objectives have failed in the short term. Maybe hoping to solicit a bid from somewhere else. So I think the actual, the price that's paid for Manchester United or the price that's offered by whoever might come in in 18 months or the Glazers want to come in, I don't think that'll have anything to do with what Ratcliffe does. And I think this is funny. This is a free hit for him. Mm. This is why he should be really excited and why he shouldn't worry too much about that clause. Either way, he gets to walk away the hero, right? The bar is so low in terms of the Glazer ownership now. It's so low over the last 20 years. Whatever he does, does at United will be an improvement, right? So he comes in, and let's say the next 18 months, he makes real, real strides. The fan base is going to be an absolute uproar. The gla the, the once, once will the they process, care? I'm like, if he comes in, and in 18 months, you see notable differences, renovation on the pitch, the Glazers will absolutely care. We've seen they've been sensitive to fan pressure before the protests. We've seen them come out and make statements after years of silence in some cases, making statements because United fans do mobilise, getting games shut down. And mm. I think that the fan protest, if Ratcliffe comes in 
and makes notable changes and improvements will be like something we haven't seen. I genuinely believe that. Because people have had a taste for 18 months of people involved in the club that care about the football first. I honestly think that the next 18 months for them, I'd be watching extremely anxiously if I was one of them, one of their advisors, because what he's doing at the moment is, it's kind of like football populism. Someone yeah. said to me, someone said to me a few months ago, he said one of the most, one of the most influential places, maybe he was slightly tongue in cheek, in political terms, is the presidential box at Real Madrid. Now, obviously English football is not influential politically as Real Madrid, but within football, and that thing you said about sitting next to Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, it was a throwaway comment, but it's kind of brilliant because, you know, we do a podcast together, so I'm biased, but I think it's a brilliant take. The amount of lobbying, the amount of lobbying that got <laughs> Sir Jim Ratcliffe a seat next to Ferguson as a statement, as, a, as an alignment of power. Like even then we were talking earlier and he said, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to confuse you. Like, it's not a takeover, it's a minority shareholding. But that right there, that confusion, the fact that the perception from the outside, the casual observer, this feels like a takeover. Mm. The Glazers don't like that. And that's 18 months from any potential bid. Dude, I'd be, shake, I'd be shaking. I, I actually wonder whether they do like it, though, because it takes the heat off them. And if anything, even though they are, I mean, I don't think, for example, people will, can, can, will mind too much comparatively about the Glazers being there at the moment Mm. If they if they know that the performance stuff off the field is being taken as seriously as it looks like it's going to be from now on, I just wonder. But yeah, I wonder. But I, you know that 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 presence of that clause, I just wonder if they're hoping that he will get it ship shape enough to make it a more attractive proposition for someone to buy, because there's just less work to be done on it. I'm just thinking. I, I know. I'm, I'm just thinking in ahead of like, what's their ultimate end game? It's a big payout. And the only reason this club hasn't been sold yet by them is because the payout wasn't, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't the bonanza, you know? What do they want? 10 billion for it? And it was valued most, most extravagantly, it was valued at five. I mean, even that is still, I think, it's, yeah, unreal. It's, it's yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I, think they'd go, I think they're going for the moonshot. I think they're trying to get him to get it serviceable looking tight enough that whoever comes in is like, oh, actually, yeah, now it's an attractive proposition. I think they're still going for the big ownership. Well, this is what I'm saying. Like, if they really gave a shit about being popular, mm. their ownership would have been completely different. So, so for me, this is why I think this is, this is the one thing to kind of be like, mm, hang on a minute, that would alarm me as a United fan because it's like, well, yeah, what if Ratcliffe does all of this or his team, they do all of this amazing work. Now, the thing is, they have the opportunity to match it. Right. So that's, that's the thing. That's like a, that will be the assurance, right? But what if someone comes in and completely blows them out of the water? Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm slightly talking past each other. I really, really agree with you in terms of, they don't care about popularity, but there are degrees within that. And I think the intensity of some of the recent protests will have made them think twice. I think the extreme disruption because United fans haven't, had really, haven't really had a taste of what it looks like for the football and the financial side to be aligned since David Gill left. They haven't had a taste of that. If they get a taste of that in the next 18 months, you know, the match-going fans, the ones that are mobilising protest, if they get a taste of that, I think extreme disruption could be on the table and that I think is interesting. That's something which we've seen already, like what disruption does to the club hierarchy and how they've come out and spoken in a way they hadn't before. So let's see, I guess. But either way, it's a much more exciting moment than it would have been if the other bit had gone through. Dude, Extreme Disruption sounds like that heavy noise band that you discovered that released two absolutely killer tapes in the late 70s. And <laughs> they got the record store day, 180 gram vinyl repress. <laughs> Can I say as well, like, very quickly, we haven't mentioned the name of the player once in this conversation. And that's a, that's a sign. It's indicative of how far Manchester United have fallen in that sense that a conversation about Manchester United 20 years ago of this length would have featured about, it would have been all about football and specific players and style and whatever. And we're talking about numbers. 
that is a sign of how far United have drifted from what they were. I did want to talk about one more thing. Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Sure, 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 sure. I wanted to look forward, actually, and say, hypothetically, Ratcliffe's involvement is for the long term. He either slowly increases his share or he takes overall control of the club. What does it look like? What do the next 10 years of Manchester United look like, for example? Oh, my goodness. Um, I know that's I, a bit speculative. No, 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 like, no. What, no what let's, go, let's, be, go, let's go there. Okay. What, I mean, first two things, I think, stadium renovation and academy. Catch do you think they area. renovate or do you think that they rebuild? There's enough think, space around Old Trafford. I think they have to rebuild because of the train line on the... Um, I think you... Re- okay, so on the, rebuild on then. It's Sir Bobby Charlton stand. Okay, let's go. Let's go big. Let's go rebuild. You look at the kind of Real Madrid experience and see what they've done there. And you think... I big, think they could do think, what Spurs did, build on the same site. Yeah. I don't think they'd have to relocate even. I think you could probably... I mean, I, I haven't seen the plans and stuff, but I think mm. that having been to Old Trafford numerous times, there's enough space around it. And the Spurs roadmap is such a great precedent for that. Yeah. Um, and a, a signature stadium. And I think the next 10 years, that no, here's the pipeline of academy to first team actually is, you know, pretty good. Some might say the academy, yeah. the, but actually. So this has never really been a problem. Not really. No, no, no. That's one thing the United managed to retain. So I think what's going to be exciting in the next 10 years is potentially getting tempting more of those brilliant young players from in and around the, the local area into the first team. I think that, that, that would be exciting. And I think as a proposition for the next 10 years, having United establish themselves, first things first, establish themselves again consistently as a Champions League team. A team that qualified, I know that people said that's not ambitious enough, but just to consistently be in the Champions League and then let's say the next 10 years, you've got like, let's say, four really, really strong title contentions, like extremely strong. I think that's a really good next 10 years, actually, from where United are, because those next 10 years, you're having to build up squad depth, quality in all areas, getting the elite players to come, but also attracting elite talent from the catchment areas. I've got to say as well with United, the really interesting and striking thing is, even though they've been struggling, they've still managed to attract talents I regard as first rate, such as Mason I mean, the Mount. name is so global. It's I mean, still we saw so this, strong, we, yeah. We saw this with, um, I think a lot of people maybe in England couldn't understand why Arsenal, Liverpool and Manchester United con- continually could sign quite big players even when they were struggling. I mean, being in Germany made, you, made us both realise, I think, that actually the reputation of those clubs away from England mm. is, it doesn't kind of really matter how, how bad they're doing currently the weight that those, I don't want to say this, but considering we're talking a lot about football business, the weight that those brands carry. Yes, it's fast, yeah, yeah. It's massive. And that was never going to be an issue in the last decade or 15 years or however long, 20 years. Mm. But if things are, as we've seen with Arsenal now, they're completely different things. Like, you know, Arsenal have never been dynastically successful like Manchester United have. It's always been hyper, like very, very cyclical all the way through their history. But if you look at what happened as a, as a comparative case study in, recent, in the recent years, on a sporting level, they slowly started to fix stuff. Yes. And I think that's what Manchester United have to do, but they've got the added problem of also needing a hell of a lot of infrastructure, which costs a lot of money. You know, the quotes right. around the stadium are over a billion quid. My gut feeling is that I think Manchester United fans will actually accept a little bit of a drop-off in terms of where the club finishes each year. We've talked about this numerous times, but I think direction of travel is such an important It's so funny. It's literally the phrase. It's literally the phrase in my head. Yeah, Yeah, it's the direction of travel. And I think that for the first time in a while, even though it's not even been fully, fully gone through yet, and it's it's a minority uh, share, a minority stake, it looks like a plan. And I think Ratcliffe gets this. Yes. Because ultimately he is a fan as well. Dude, everyone I've spoken to so far has been really, really happy, including a couple of people who I think absolutely would have walked away if there'd been a state-backed takeover. There are people who are excited about the club again that haven't been for, for a long, long while. A long while. 
All right, man. So before we go, I think we'll also touch on this on Righty's House as well. But mm. Jordan Henderson is an Ajax player, he is. which is something I did not have on my 2024 bingo. Neither did he, I imagine. Yes. Everyone would have read this and seen this by now. Jordan Henderson has mutually agreed to part ways with Al Etifak in the Saudi Pro League that he joined last summer, managed by Steven Gerrard, who has signed a, a new deal there to keep him there longer. Yeah. Um, I think it was 17 appearances, four assists in his time there. And a very noisy transfer when he left Liverpool mm. to move there, especially in light of him being such a vocal supporter and ally for the LGBTQ plus community. One of the most outspoken players in the England camp about that. We're, we're recapping, but you know this by now. We talked about it at the time, the backlash, the the... the Transfer got, especially compared to, I mean, all the other players who mm. who joined the league. You know, there was a lot of talk about growing the game, good opportunity, this, that, and the other. He has now left, and he is now an Ajax player. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, Musa, because I also think it has a little bit of potential for the league overall. Feels like the first. The Saudi Pro League. High profile. The Saudi, yeah, it feels like the high profile, the first high profile exit. It feels like because it was a high profile transfer in the first place. It's a disaster. It is an absolute unmitigated disaster for the Saudi Pro League. And why? Can I ask you? I'm just going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to pretend to be the audience. Why? So so let me, let me tell you why. So the interesting thing about the contract, the way it was structured is there was much talk about when he signed the contract that would be tax-free. And it was only tax-free if he stayed there for the first two years. Mm. The reason that's interesting is because I think even baked into the contract, they were like, yeah, we need to give them an incentive to like ride this out because it might not be the easiest transition or adjustment. You don't structure a deal like that if you're confident that people just come in and just do it, right? If you don't need that, that, that's, that to me was interesting already, that, that arrangement about it being... So already that was kind of interesting. Now, the Saudi Pro League obviously has been around for a while, but the fact they had this major splash of cash, you don't spend all that money and acquire all those players if you're not expecting high ratings, lots of interest. And we can safely say between the two of us or whatever, or even the WhatsApp groups, all the chat groups, I mean, whatever the, the different chats I've been in over the last couple of years, I haven't yet seen a single clip of a goal or a moment from the Saudi Pro League go viral. Like, I'm whatever the bang for the buck they're expecting when they paid all this money, they're not getting it. You've already got stories of Karim Benzema, who's being paid, reported 200 million euros a year, wanting out after just a few months. The physical conditions of playing in Saudi are quite grueling. Like, the humidity is really high. It's a huge country. The travel team games is a big deal. It's energy sapping, right? And it's no coincidence that the people who are thriving in Saudi are those in exceptional physical condition or those who are working extremely hard like Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Mitrovic. And also the pressure to deliver on that investment. So Benzema has scored 15 goals in 24 games, but he's missed some crucial penalties, some big chances. So the pressure is significant. The pressure to go there and make it happen. And this is a disaster. This is the first domino, I think, because now... People are being bold and starting to speak out um, anonymously. And the other thing you're going to get, you're going to get a second wave of journalists now sensing weakness and swarming all over the story. Because I think until now, it was kind of like, uh, like they've got all these big names, movers and shakers, but people have had a few months to look at it. The attendance figures for El Etifak have been absolutely terrible. I mean, like an average of 7,500 or 7,000 in a stadium of 35,000. You know, it's just the numbers. If, if, you, if you said to the paymasters in the Saudi Pro League at the start of this, what do you want this project to be? Six months later, this would rank as a disaster. I don't believe for a second they're looking at this going, wow, great, we're on track. I, I don't believe that for a second. I think for the league side of things, and we will talk about Henderson individually a bit. I know we, we asked about the league stuff at first, but um, I'm not entirely sure 
that our like what we would see as a as a as a success or a failure at the current moment after six to eight months or whatever of this this revolution because it's it's worth remembering that this isn't a new league. This league has been no, around exactly, for ages. Exactly, it's got one of it's got some of Asia's most successful club sides in there, um, and it existed a long time, you know, before mm. this kind of influx of players in the summer. Yeah, um, it's been part of this big wave of inf- um, of. Saudi investment in sport that we've seen over the last few years, and mm. this was the the latest the latest thing to do that. Newcastle United is obviously another major part of that. Super Cups going to 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 Riyadh. The goal was, you know, to land the World Cup. I think from a football side of things, mm. and they've done that. Used zone as a prime example, right in Germany, mm. they started broadcasting the league straight away, and they still broadcast the league. So they've they've got. I, we're not the audience, I don't think, mm, for that. That's interesting. Okay, I yeah. think, um, may I assume maybe younger fans who are more, you know, inclined to follow players around will be the ones who might be watching globally. I don't know. I, I don't have any figures on that, but I'm just saying. I think that. No, okay, this this is interesting. The consequences. Do you know what just, I mean by that? Just to jump. Yes, I think you completely nailed it in that sense. I think in terms of we're not the audience. And in that sense then, because actually if you look at how certain social media platforms have covered the Saudi Pro League, they've been very assertive and they clearly get the numbers because if you look at the numbers they generate and if they post about Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, the traffic's there. Like, and those, so to your point, I think if you're looking at this, this move, this Henderson move, Henderson comes off clearly far, far worse than the Saudi Pro League. The Saudi Pro League this money being spent as it was, you know, to sort of, to what sports washing or promo, whatever, whatever it was, but Saudi's objectives, as much as I do think Jordan Henderson leaving is a setback for them, the reputational damage for him, my goodness, you wouldn't want to be in his shoes. If you think of the stances that he took and the arc he was on, this is the thing for Jordan Henderson, really. What he stood for on and off the field, let's look at what he stood for ethically, morally, supporting people from marginalized communities, supporting the NHS, all that goodwill he built up, that's off the field. Then on the field, part of that 2011, 2012, 11 that gets posted so often and like, you know, where are they now? And he's the one that really survived. He came through all of that in Stephen Gerrard's shoes from Sunderland, unfancied, and just made a name, became a club legend, a legend at Liverpool, legit flat out legend, captained them, won the Champions League. And you look now and you think, my God, like at some point he'll look back and I'm sure he's regretting already to an extent, but going, those six months, I didn't need them. I didn't need them. You look at the combination of like, there's, you said this in the chat, they're going to break down that transfer in infinite detail. Oh one day. yeah. I think, I think I said, if, if, you know, if football is still somehow going in like 40 yeah. years, there will be 8,000 word long reads on the last eight months. And just what an absolute, in general, you, know, you know, what an absolute stone cold disaster because he's gone to Ajax now and, you know, great club and all the rest of it. Even though the intro video that was shared, you know, was quite funny and weird, but, um, you know, but, but even though he's, he's not wearing like, number 14 here. <laughs> absolutely not. Go, so he's got, he's I'll gone to Ajax. Free. <laughs> he's gone to Ajax now and like, he's kind of going to be in the wilderness. If you think of like the status Jordan Henderson had, if he just, Ryan, if he'd just waited If he'd just out, gone to Ajax. Dude, the man, if, if he'd just gone to Ajax, there's a parallel universe in which that happens and the man walks the street, any street in Liverpool, and the man is never paying for drink in Liverpool again. Not just about that, but any fan community all over the world, club ambassador, rest of your life, absolutely adored, fated, and he's blowtorched it. And I'm not saying there won't be people, that people be like, in the fullness of time, they'll be like, do you know what, Jordan? Wild amount of money. Yes, we know you're already rich but it was a wild amount of money. What, 140 million, almost tax-free over three years. We get it. It was grubby and we get it on a human level, right? There's people that I think will in the fullness of time. But the problem is he's lost this, and he of course feels that, he has lost a substantial bulk of supporters who were like, you embodied so much of, you know, in a time that football needed people to look at and go, actually, we can count on that guy. Like he was one of, Let's not, under, let's not overstate or understate this. Ryan, there was literally a point in football where there were 10 people you'd look at and be like, yeah, that guy gets it. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, he'd be one of the guys. 
that even if he didn't know the exact issue in question, he'd be like, he's curious enough about the world and he's caring and empathetic enough not to be swayed by this. Or he came across that way. Yeah, he came across that way. Yes. And there's, you can never, you never know people. There's a hell of a lot of footballers looking at that now, not just the Henderson situation, but all the quality of the football. And they're going, thank God. we." There there are people texting their agents this week going, thank God you told me. Wait and see how it plays out. Just finally on this, I think, do you think that Jordan Henderson will ever be able to restore the reputation he had among, among, I mean, because like I'm speaking, you know, you are um, yeah. literally a member of that community, right? So I feel like it's, it's very easy for me to kind of, uh, I don't know, like speculate whether it will, because I think that for, I've seen a lot of statements and quotes about it, you know, after the move and about around this move. And it doesn't seem like he's going to. I don't think you can. I just don't think you can. I just, you know what it is? It's because there are things in life that are beyond you can't buy them. You know, you can't buy reputation. You just can't. And even if there's, it sounds weird to say, even there's a period where he's like, you know, I'm actually going to go and like, I let people down. If he goes and does that, I still don't think it returns to that because the whole point is you've got to be there when people need you. And that period from the Qatar World Cup up until Saudi spending money Pro League, that is the worst bout of online homophobia I have seen on social media since I've been on social media. That was absolutely horrifying. And there's a point like that where you need to be like, stand where you stand. And he didn't. And I think there's no coming back from that, unfortunately. There just isn't. And I don't mean as in, look, we get it, it was a load of money. I mean as in, he will never return to the status he was at before. It's just not. Mm. I don't see it happening. And that's sad. That look, I'm not, that's genuinely... Yeah. That's sad for him. That's sad for queer people. That's sad for football. That's sad for everyone. It's just a really regrettable mess. And there are footballers that never took big political stands. They went to Saudi. They're quietly earning the money. And I kind of think that's how it needs to be in a way. If you, if you never stood for anything and you take the money, people will be like, you never stood for that, right? And, but those aren't people. That, it's like, if no one ever counted on you, then everyone's like, well, we knew what you are about. And it's not good and it's, it's kind of awful. It kind of sucks, but at least there's these few people we can rely on. And I think he showed himself when, when he was needed that he was kind of found wanting. And I'm not saying that in a kind of, to be cruel, I'm saying that because I'm genuinely, I'm actually kind of sad for him, actually. I mean that. Because he was a dude that, like, that I rooted for. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be really interesting just to see what happens with that. Mm. You know, but I mean, in terms of, I mean, in terms of a club that you could ask to, to kind of go to, I know that they're having a, a they've had an awful season, but I think in terms of Ajax, is still Ajax. It's Ajax, man. It's like, it's the I mean, perfect footballing like, move. It's a perfect football move. Like one of my all time favorite transfers. And I mean, all time is when Dusan Tadic just bounced from Southampton and went to Ajax. I love that so much. Do I glow up? You're living in Amsterdam. You're playing for Ajax. You're playing for like one of the great or like the world's great clubs. Mm. Like that's a fucking hell of a gig, man. And I think, look, look. Here's the thing. And and for Henderson, just go there and get right into it. Just not on the. I think the thing is, not just on, not just on the field, but off the field, and bring all of that experience, all that nous, all of that, and just keep your head down and work and get it done. And like, you know, and he will make it work because he's a good player. He's a great club. It's the kind of move that you make you might end up enjoying. I mean, it's Amsterdam, you know. Twist my arm to go there. (laughs) Dude, like, listen, if anyone's listening to this podcast, make me an offer. Really? To sign for Ajax? You won't regret it. (laughs) I mean, they would absolutely regret it. Yeah. They, well, Sorry, well, they just would. They would just absolutely regret it. Don't ask to see my first touch. <laughs> Wait, well, actually, what, what, what kind of deal? What are you going to be doing there? Are you going to be playing? Or are you going to be, I don't know, like... Listen, you know, whatever, humble season, whatever the team needs, right? Whatever, it's bigger than me. It's not about me. Ajax announced new head of vibes, Moose Rock. That's not what it's going 
The vibes are low after Sven Mislintat basically just nuked the transfer strategy. Musa Wonga has been onboarded. Listen. Uh, head of vibes role. This you might come get me, please. Anyway, enough about me. Anyway, right. Let's, let's get out of here. Let's uh, get out of here. We hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Don't forget to check Righty's House and Counter Pressed. And uh, don't forget to check the Stadio Outros players on Spotify. Mm. Uh, speaking of which, playing out on this episode with Dreamings by Elephant Chateau. Can I say uh, a little weirdo wonder tune? It's, adored, it's adored, so, I, adored, so, I adore this tune. I adore it. It's so great. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> Talking about dreaming about flamingos. You sent through earlier and I'm like, yeah, I was like, oh my goodness, like I can write to this. Like it really helped me write yeah. today actually. Yeah, yeah. Nice. It's like perfect nice. writing music. Yeah. Uh, anything you would like to add, Musa Akwanga? Nothing further. I've said plenty enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a lovely weekend. Much love. We'll be back with you on Monday. See you then.